1: I'm Rick Brudico, your host for today, and I'm really glad you joined me. We have a great show planned for you. We'll be talking with an engineer, a franchise operator, and a politician. And it's all one person, Supervisor Bill Campbell. In today's show, I call it Engineer to Tacos to Politics. But first, before we get started, let me just take a moment to remind especially our new listeners about the Mentor Show. We are three CEO hosts who take ch- turns challenging your thinking about life and work. I personally try to select guests who are accomplished people with years of experience in business. I have mentioned before that my personal definition of wisdom is knowledge modified by experience through time. I encourage you to listen for that wisdom from my guest today, and hopefully you'll have a different perspective challenging your thought process following today's show. That is my hope, that these pearls of wisdom come from experienced people who have walked this path before us. Business and life have one thing in common, and that is managing risk. So there's a lot of similarities. Today's guest has a marvelous story to tell. It's both entertaining, stimulating, and challenging. So stay with us. But before we get started, I want to remind you, call us 24 hours a day at 844-610-TALK. That's 844-610-8255. Or email us. We'd like to hear from you. We'd like to hear your questions and your comments about the show, what you like and what you didn't like. And remember, you can go to our website, TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com, where you'll find all of the shows, show notes, archives of all the podcasts from all past shows, and even links to some of our sponsors. You can send us a note, and as I said before, now you can call us at 844-610-TALK anytime, 24-7, as our producer listens to all the recorded calls and selects some to be played on the air. So back to my guest, as I mentioned before, is Supervisor Bill Campbell. Bill has packed multiple careers in his work experience, and along with it has created himself in at least three different work disciplines. His story teases us with failures and success, which only proves that the right attitude and a strong work ethic gets it done every time. Bill's story is interesting, of course, even intriguing. But somewhere, though, I have to find out how an electrical engineer from California got an MBA from Harvard Business School and was able to reinvent, maybe I should say recreate himself, moving from technology often in a completely different direction, in fact, becoming a large Taco Bell franchisee. What made him do that and why? His story, like most of my guests, is one of starting something having the attitude that he could do anything and then working very hard to make it successful. You'll hear how building his company was based upon a few failures along the way, and one in particular where his only choice was either to give up or invest, go in debt, and build a company. He'll tell us about the need to reinvent oneself and how he developed that perspective and how it worked for him in his life. And then, of course, there's his success in politics. He served as minority leader in the California State Assembly... After that, was elected to represent his home district uh, of Orange County as a supervisor, where we have 3 million population. I will ask him what that was like. What did he take away from it? Are there any lessons? Maybe something for the political upheaval that is going on in the state houses in Washington, D.C. today. Maybe he can pass, use this venue to pass along something, maybe a little of that wisdom of how they can all get along and get something done. Along the way, I bet we'll find out how one could go about reinventing themselves in the workforce today. Be sure to listen for this valuable, informative advice. It will change the way you think about your current career. Bill's story is a short course on how to live life, be successful, and make a difference giving back by helping others. How are we go- ever going to cover three careers and 50 years in a single show? The only way I know is to get started. So hello, Bill, how are you?
2: Rick, I'm doing great. And- your introduction was fine. I, I think basically rather than totally recreating myself, what I did was was build on the experiences of the past and added to them. And then, of course, obviously threw in the, the learning of what you have to do in your new surroundings.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Bill. And I will tell you, one of the questions that we get a lot, especially from the younger, some of the younger listeners, um, they, they really are struck with that. I mean, they come out of college. They really don't know what to do. One, one young lady, uh, well, I shouldn't say young I don't know how old she was, but she wrote in and she specifically said she got a degree from a good university. She even had foreign study involved, came out with, I remember, I don't remember the exact degree, but I believe it was marketing. And she worked for one of the big companies, I believe Macy's, and then worked for somebody like um, uh, one of the clothing companies where she was a buyer. And it was nothing like she wanted to do. So I've recently heard that what she's doing now is au pair kind of stuff, au pair kind of stuff, helping people and also trying to create her own company, organizing individuals who don't have enough time. I know it sounds simple because you did it so often, but (laughs) clearly it's difficult for a lot of the rest of us. So that's why I brought that up. Uh, In fact, let me just ask you, how does a SoCal electrical engineer in 1965, how does he get from Playa del Rey to Harvard and that's in the 60s when, if I remember correctly, there were no combined tech MBA programs, were there?
2: No, there, there really weren't. But it was a case of um, uh, actually a, a experience where I met a Harvard MBA while I was doing a summer job at what was then called Pacific Telephone and Telegraph Company. Now, of course, them well. part of AT&T. Um, and that fellow told me about the way they studied. And I thought, you know, I've enjoyed engineering. But I like dealing with people more. So I think I'm going to move myself over into the business arena.
1: Well, and, and you did. It seems like it's, a, it's a very successful, successfully, I might add. But I also am kind of interested in, did you think the Harvard experience, you know, we hear a lot about the Harvard experience, uh, those of us that didn't go to such a prestigious school. Um, do you think that experience was helpful or beneficial? Or did you enjoy it? Uh, how, how do you feel about that?
2: I loved it. Uh, the, the The way you study at Harvard is um, unique uh, for business schools, although a lot of others have modeled after it since then. It was, it was founded in the early 1910s based upon the way they train in law school. So what we did in the business school was study cases, stories about business, and you had to be the decision maker in each one of those cases. So the The case study would describe a business situation. At the end, it would say, Mr. X, what should you do and why? And then you had to go into class and defend your position. I thrived on that. I didn't always get it right, but I learned a lot, and it was an unreal world for two years for me.
1: Well, maybe maybe that's where you got the idea for your the political fever that engulfed you later in your life. I mean, first of all, thriving on being attacked and and having to defend your position, and and secondly, I mean, how can you help in Boston get some sort of political fever? It would seem to me that it almost oozes out of every pore. But we only oh, have a no. couple. My
2: my my politics came from a, a wonderful matron aunt who served for forty years in our. Uh, Federal government, starting in 1917, and I met her when I was first 10, and then would meet her over the years, and she'd tell me wonderful stories about our country. And she, at age 16, sat me down and said, "Bill, you're bright, you work hard, you're going to be successful. You must give back to your country or your local government or something. Be a teacher, go in the military, serve in public office." But you must do that. So she planted the seed at a young age.
1: Well, that's, that's a wonderful story, Bill. And I'm glad you told us that. We're up against a break now. So uh, stay tuned, everybody, and we'll hear the rest of Bill's marvelous story when we come back. Ah, my health insurance is killing me. Well, it
3: was killing me, too. That's why I just switched to a non-insurance ministry. It only costs $320 per month for my family of seven, and it's even less for couples and singles. Wow. It's a solid organization, been around 17 years. We have the dependability of a proven method, but it's different. It's Christian-based, so we don't have to pay for non-Christian practices like abortions. Plus, we can choose our own doctors. What is it? Samaritan Ministries. SamaritanMinistries.org. That's easy to remember. SamaritanMinistries.org
4: imagine waking up and walking just eight steps to your work no commute no traffic you set your own hours full-time or part-time your choice supplement your income replace your income it's up to you Openacan.com can help you get there these aren't empty promises when katherine a popular hairstylist back east became ill and needed different work she became part of the Hope and a Can team. Within two years, she not only regained her health, but also more than replaced her income. Mary, a nurse and mother of nine in the Midwest, quit nursing to be with her family and work from home. Her income put nine children through college. A near-retirement dentist is happily building a post-retirement business. What are your goals? Call now toll-free to learn more. 855-921-HOPE. That's 855-921-HOPE. Or go to HopeInACan.com. That's HopeInACan.com. HopeInACan.com.
5: Because you're active in your church, you may have wondered, how can we maintain the quality of our stained glass windows? What is their value? What would repairs cost? You can get a no-cost analysis of your church's stained glass windows at WilletHauser.com to help you make the best decisions for restoration or new windows. A free inspection and evaluation of your church's windows by the Willard Hauser Artisans can answer your questions. Over 120 years of stained glass design and restoration experience. com.
0: And now, back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: You're listening to the Mentors Radio. I'm Rick Brutico, your host, and this week's. Uh, guest mentor is bill campbell engineer businessman and elected official right before the break bill was telling us how he got interested in politics but i want to take you back bill to when you were an engineer coming out of loyola university and it was a an electrical engineer as i recall and that was in the 60s when that career was really hot um what what made you think to do something else
2: well it's yeah, I ended up working in the aerospace industry after earning my MBA, but it was, as I said, I just determined that, yes, I enjoyed uh, engineering, but I enjoyed dealing with people more, so I thought, let's blend the two together, dealing with people and also engineering. So after earning my MBA, I came back to Southern California and started work at a place called TRW Systems and had a marvelous uh, experience there. Got to see cutting-edge things that... Actually, didn't turn into, they turned into commercial applications 10, 15, 20 years later, but we were doing it, you know, advanced technology at that time, so I loved it.
1: Did it, did it, it get you excited about being in the uh, private enterprise business, or was it that you, it was just too, too large to get your hand around and you had to be more hands-on?
2: Well, the, from my point of view, I was working on the administrative side at, at uh, TRW Systems and doing well. But the way you were going to get to the top of that company was to come up through the design or the technical side. And I recognized that, and I thought, well, I really don't want to get back and go back into design. I'll look for something else. And I answered an ad for a company called, of all names, National Environment Corporation. And I assumed (laughs) it was some sort of company doing software studies on environmental issues, although... Uh, we would defined environmental as a different way back then, and discovered that it was a conglomerate that a guy had put together and picked out a name that he thought would be a sexy name for the stock market.
1: Well, that uh, maybe today it would be a huge success. Who knows? Is it still around?
2: <laughs> uh, no, it had uh, what I best describe as a fast rise and a fast demise. A brilliant <laughs> guy. I got the privilege of being his executive assistant for about a year, and the company Uh, He bought 12 companies in the space of 12 months, did it all on debt, and then uh, with the idea of refinancing with a stock offering. And about the time he was ready to go to the market, the market crashed, and his debt was short-term debt, so we walked out the door together.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I remember the, that was the, the go-go '60s and 70's. I remember that yeah. very well because I worked for a, a large company in those days. I believe it was about a five billion dollar company called Whitaker Corporation, and I think we had like 80 or 90 different companies in, in amazingly different industries. none of them complemented each other. And I'll tell you, we were so confused we had no idea what was going on. Best thing we ever yeah, did well, was the National
2: bring... Environment Corporation meant that we owned restaurants, an insurance company, uh, construction companies and nursing homes.
1: <laughs> so, so so you learned you firsthand forgot. the difficulty of doing that but but yeah. but somehow you kept going and you actually got into some of those restaurants what 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 led you there
2: Well it, it, it's a funny story but um in between I went back to um the um the science side I I worked at Rockwell in their microelectronics division and learned some more technology and uh, ended up being division controller of one of their companies and then my friend, the guy who ran this other company, he called me up one day and said, hey, I've moved to Connecticut. I've left some businesses in Southern California. I'd like you to come back to work for me, uh, get those turned around. They aren't making any money right now and help me find some more acquisitions. So I thought, well, I'll go along for the ride again. And what really happened was two years later, I bought his Southern California business made up of Taco Bells and dry cleaners. And I did it <laughs> with what you and I now call leverage buyout. I don't know what I called it then, but I called it letting everything hang out because I had about ten thousand dollars cash. I borrowed two hundred thousand against my house, signed debt instruments to him for about five hundred thousand, and took on uh, uh, trade payables of about six hundred thousand, and we were off and running.
1: What a brave guy! For my listeners, uh, how old were you when when you decided to make this very uh, aggressive decision?
2: I would have been about uh, 32, I think, uh, you know, just thinking back on the time, time frame of that. Yeah, I, I, it was in my early 30s, um, and um, it was, uh, it, you know, it was a case where I uh, signed everything away. I got my wife to sign on the debt instruments, too, with the bank, and that's a, that's a funny side story I might just share with you.
1: I'd like uh, to hear that, actually, because I remember that.
2: <laughs> Please do. We call do. our company Bima Corporation, Bill & Mary, um, B-I-M-A. But when I was pitching the idea to her about doing all this and said, you know, dear, you're going to have to sign the debt instruments with the bank with me, and she said, well, you know, I, I think it would be great if we could put my name first in the company. And I looked her straight in the eye and said, dear, I'd be happy to do that, but... I don't want to take maybe corporation to the bank to borrow on our first borrowing. So I ended up with BMO. Uh, we did form, form maybe later on, but uh, uh, I had a very understanding and supportive wife, and that's something that was very necessary in this activity, too.
1: Well, you know, it is interesting, and in, in people that are in our, our vintage um just coincidental. I know you didn't know that's but that's about the age that I went out and started my own company too after working for large technology companies. And and I just think that it was a different time there and a different time. And I don't know that people have that same availability today. You you know that people are starting companies that become billion dollar companies and we were starting companies Thought you know, if we can just make a good living, grow the company and work at the rest of our life, we can be successful. Did, did you have those kinds of feelings or were you thinking I'm going to be a, a multi-billion dollar company day?: you No,
2: know, I, I started work in my dad's little auto parts store at age 10, sweeping it out. So, you know, I think I knew I was always going to be in my own business, although whatever company I worked for, I assumed I was going to be president of it someday, whether it was TRW or Rockwell or whatever. And I, I worked that hard to try and do, it, do my best for the company. But uh, ultimately, I decided I'd best do it for my own account. So that was what was going on in my mind.
1: Well, and I'm also very intrigued to hear, because I didn't know you were a controller, a financial thing after being uh, uh, educated as, I guess you got the business background at Harvard, but educated as an engineer, usually controllers and technology don't mix real well. One wants to save every penny they can, and the other wants to work as hard as they can to build something new.
2: Yeah, I think what I did was I I learned the the financial side at the Harvard Business School, and that's when quantitative methods was becoming popular in the MBA program. So I kind of specialized in that, along with defense marketing, because I knew I was going back into uh, the uh, aerospace business. So um, those two together just worked, and and I had an approach that was um, uh, kind of interesting. I... For instance, when I was at Rockwell, we were involved in trying to take some of their science and put it into the commercial side, and everybody would sit around and say, well, I think the market is this, and I think the market is that, without knowing anything in, in a lot of these startup situations. And I just said, listen, based upon the investment side that we've got to put into this, how much do we need of a marketer? How much of sales do we need? So I took the reverse which became an interesting approach for folks because it was actually a more realistic way to look at it in terms of speculating about how we're going to do in business.
1: Sure. And, and, you know, it is, and, and I think that is one thing we can say as the market has, as the world has progressed, one of the things that's happened is it's been a lot more, I'll, I'll say it mathematical, but in the sense financially mathematical, I mean, we just look at things differently now. You've got, to, you've got to have a certain amount of cash flow. You've got to have a certain amount of, of, of leverage available to you, a certain amount of debt available to you, I should say. And, and it's just things we think more in the numbers. And I really do give credit to, the, I know in my case, the, from my MBA, and I think, you, I think you're making that point very strongly. I, I would encourage a lot of listeners uh, uh, out there that are thinking about these kinds of things, understand the business side, the financial side. Wouldn't you agree?
2: Yeah, I, I would, and I also say, uh, I, 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 as I told you, I, I did good work, and uh, I became a good friend of the treasurer at Rockwell, and he was the guy that made the introduction, introduction to me, to the banker at First Interstate, who, who did the loan for me on this transaction. So, um, you know, you use friendships, too, but you, use, you develop those friendships based upon competence, I think.
1: Well, I think you're very right. And again, of course, it's break time. And once more, these, these uh, segments go so quickly. But we want to pick up with you after that, and we can see how that network helped lead you into the political world.
6: My name is Nick Jordan. I'm the founder of Wells of Life. I'm here to tell you that there are 10 million people in Uganda without access to clean water. Imagine your water comes from a stream or pond shared with animals. Imagine that this water is loaded with parasites and disease. Each day, you have to walk three miles to fetch this because it's all the water there is. So what can you do about this? The great news is you can do a lot. Go to wellsoflife.net and make a personal donation. Talk to your family, church, or company about funding your own well. Every penny goes to fund your well and will bring water and life to as many as a thousand parishioners in rural Uganda for up to 20 years. In this jubilee year of mercy, why not make this your act of mercy in Jesus' name? Go to wellsoflife.net and make a personal donation. wellsoflife.net
7: All Catholics are invited to join the Young Catholic Professionals, YCP for short, National Movement. One of the nation's fastest growing Catholic organizations with chapters in 15 cities nationwide and international interest, YCP was founded by peers to inspire young professionals to work in witness for Christ. YCP's programs are designed to help young people at every stage of the journey to grow as Catholics and as professionals. Our members use their experience to become ambassadors of the faith in the public square, forming tomorrow's leaders to step forward in their communities, parishes, and workplaces. There's an opportunity for Catholics of all ages to get involved. Visit our website, youngcatholicprofessionals.org, youngcatholicprofessionals.org to learn more about how you can get involved in this exciting apostolate. That's youngcatholicprofessionals.org, youngcatholicprofessionals.org.
3: Attention salespeople. Are you struggling trying to make sales on a daily basis so you can earn more money and enjoy a better lifestyle? Are you sick and tired of prospects telling you they want to think about it and not being able to pay your bills? End all that now by going to www.MinutesToSales.com and sign up for my free webinar. Hello, I'm Jeff Moder, and I regularly hear from salespeople and business owners who are struggling to get more sales because they don't know how to sell in a clear and convincing way. And that was me when I started out in sales more than 35 years ago. I knew I had a great product that made people's lives better but for some reason, I just didn't know how to tell people about it in a clear and convincing way. I couldn't even close the door, so to speak. But all that changed when I cracked the code. Since then, I've helped hundreds of people to understand the process and be able to sell at will. If you'd like to start making more sales immediately, sign up for my free webinar at www.minutestosales.com, where you can experience for yourself my simple, amazing process and see how it instantly improves your sales ability. Go to www.minutestosales.com today and sign up for my free webinar. Talk to you soon.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Well, welcome back. You're listening to The Mentors Radio. I'm Rick Brudico, your host for this week, and my guest is Bill Campbell. As I said before, engineer, businessman, and elected official. Bill told us some interesting stories in the last segment, and especially how he got his company Bema started, which contained uh, or had in it seven dry cleaners and 19 Taco Bells. That's a, a big business. But I also seem to remember, Bill, that you had another thing that maybe wasn't quite so successful, and that had something to do with great earth vitamin stores or something like that. Could you tell our visitors a little bit how you got from Bema through that that stage of your life?
2: Sure, and I'll I'll correct you on one thing. What I bought initially was five Taco Bells and four dry cleaners, and then over time by uh, figuring out some ways to comply with my, my debt agreements but also uh, uh, to expand by forming separate corporations with some investors, and we did get to 19 Taco Bells and about 11 dry cleaners before we got through with that. Um, but, uh, yes, I early on, uh, the uh, Taco Bell Corporation announced that they were considering uh, not— renewing our franchises and uh, that would be the death knell of my business and of course I helped form a national association to fight that and uh, but at the same time I thought I'd better look for something else to uh, to invest in and and vitamins were getting popular in the in the 70s and so I ended up buying the rights to Colorado for uh, Great Earth Vitamin stores And we got five of them up and running, and they were following my projections pretty well. And then all of a sudden, something called the oil shale business died in uh, the Denver area. Uh, Oil shale was being developed or explored in the Rockies, and Denver was the jumping-off point. And when the companies decided to stop investing in that, uh, basically Denver became a ghost town. And the yeah. suburbs around it, people uh, then, of course, were losing jobs and were not in- interested in using, you know, their extra money to buy vitamins. They were using and saving, interested in saving their money to protect their, uh, their well-being. So I was uh, limping along, doing, doing well in Southern California, but Colorado not well. So it was a workout for me to find ways to uh, sell the businesses to somebody else and and get out of that market. Uh, and the, the way I summarize it, uh, Rick, is I say it was a very expensive ski trip. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a facetious remark, and, but I really did do a lot of research, but it just shows you you can't necessarily plan for everything. How did well, I know yeah. that oil shale wasn't going to be the big hit that it has become now, thanks to the uh, new techniques in drilling, but back then they had different techniques for trying to exploit it.
1: So. Well, I'll tell you then, look at number uh, since the years have gone by, how many different uh, economies, not usually state economies, but even world economies, have been really hit hard as the oil industry went up and down, up and down. I know that I have uh, uh, someone that works <clears throat> in uh, uh, Alaska uh, do, doing in the oil business, and right now that oil business is, the oil is so inexpensive that it's very hard for them to um, to create more work, to b- do more drilling, to find more reserves. So, uh, I think your lesson was very helpful and probably somewhere along the line it came out and served you well.
2: Well, it it did. Um uh, of course I still take vitamins though. So from a health <laughs> point of view it was good for me to do that.
1: <laughs> but so do I, I didn't I, I didn't run the risk you did. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh you know the other part of the business that did I did do. Well, the, the good news was Taco Bell decided to uh continue the franchises, and, and so we were able to renew them. I got into a food distribution business that Taco Bell taught me how to, to get into it so that we could have good quality uh, products being distributed to uh, the local Taco Bells in, in Southern California. And then I went back for a refresher course at the Harvard Business School, and we did a case on something called Hospital Corporation of America. And that case was the early stages of introducing technology into the order systems directly into the hospitals. And I looked at that and said, they're going to do that in my Taco Bells. We're going to put terminals in there and let managers order directly off of mainframes, and I don't have the money to develop that software. I ended up selling my uh, distribution business uh, before I didn't have anything to sell as a result of that uh, learning.
1: Well, Bill, I think you really did learn a lesson there, and as you see today, um, McDonald's is putting kiosks in certain stores, and there are there's nobody there to take your order other than an electronic uh, agent, so to speak. So uh, you knew what was happening, and again, this is the, the, the key thing in life, to look at all of the things that are surrounding you and learn from them. Don't just project from one to the other, but project from sometime the specific to the general. Um, but I also wanted to ask you another thing, Bill, somewhere along the line... You started, must have been started thinking about politics. Uh, so, so were you wa- running all of your 19 stores yourself, or how, how was that working?
2: Well, uh, I had uh, the 19 Taco Bells. I decided to sell my dry cleaners. I was worried about um, the impact of the, the dry cleaning solvent, frankly, on the environment, and thought best not to be in this business because of the, the liabilities associated with that and so I was able to sell those off and concentrate on the Taco Bells. Um, and uh, yes, I had a, a director of operations and a couple of supervisors, and that provided me the opportunity to, to look at doing something different. And something different was back to what my uh, aunt Mary had advised me on. I looked at government. And so I had not really been involved in politics. I'd written a few checks to people. i wrote letters to my congressman occasionally on some issue. Um, but I uh, I decided to get into politics uh, primarily because I felt I should give back. I didn't have a, a burning issue um, on a particular matter. As much as I said, I've got some talent. Uh, I've been successful thanks to uh, the good Lord and, and the way our political economy works, and now it's time for me to give back. And so I had the opportunity to run for the state assembly here and. California, and uh, fortunately, I belonged to an organization called the Young President's Organization, and that organization gave me access to very senior people in politics, and I had gone to four or five courses over the years on it, and I remember one thing that they talked about campaigns, and they basically said, you must think about yourself no differently than a bar of soap. You're selling yourself to those consumers, only we call them voters, and you'd better approach it just the same as a sophisticated marketing program for any uh, consumer products company.
1: Well, uh, that, you know, and that again served you well because, uh, as we'll find out in the next segment, we'll find about your political. But before we go, could you give us the, the quick story about why and how you came up with the idea of repositioning yourself? And we'll have about a minute, Bill.
2: Okay. A friend of mine, uh, uh, again, met through the Young President's Organization, said that in his life, and he was kind of a mentor to me, he found it was a good thing to repot yourself every five to ten years, repotting meaning taking a plant out, a pot, and putting it into a bigger pot. In this case, for me, I recognize that after about ten years on something, I can still do it well. But I don't have the same emotional drive and enthusiasm for something. And so uh, it's good for me to look around to do something different.
1: Well, I think that's good. I mean, that that, that part, I mean, I'm a little bit of an amateur... Uh uh, farmer myself, and uh, I know that when you you're when you get root bound when those roots all climb together inside that pot That plant does not grow anymore And so I, I the first time I ever heard the story about repotting yourself was when I spoke with you once some time back But uh, it's it's a great thing and, and and listeners think about that as you think about your career Is it that you've gone as far as you can go? Is it that you aren't interested in something particular this company's doing or maybe it's just time to repot yourself So with that, stick with me. We're going to take uh, Supervisor Campbell to Sacramento and have him tell us about the political world when we get back. You're listening to The Mentors.
8: In classrooms across America, students are not learning the same history you did. Last year, McGraw-Hill apologized for calling slave trade immigration. And a popular world history textbook devotes a full chapter to Islam and Muhammad, but only a few sentences to Christianity and Christ. Recent federal testing shows students are far worse in knowledge of U.S. history than in math. Only 12% of high school students are proficient in U.S. history. Today's history textbooks not only fail to engage, they favor political correctness over true history. This is a serious problem that has a far-reaching impact on our culture and our future. What are your kids and grandkids learning? At CatholicTextbookProject.com, you'll find fresh, accurate, engaging history textbooks. Used in Catholic schools in more than 60 dioceses, these textbooks are highly praised by all, even award-winning secular university professors. Go to CatholicTextbookProject.com to find out why. This is a church,
5: a church that might be like yours, with beautiful stained glass windows. Through the years, time and weather took their toll, so the people in this church went online and found Willett Hauser Architectural Glass. Willett Hauser did a free inspection and evaluation of the church's windows. Then their craftsmen with over 120 years of stained glass design and restoration experience brought the church's stained glass windows back to life.
3: Willett Ah, my health insurance is killing me. Well, it was killing me, too. That's why I just switched to a non-insurance ministry. It only costs $320 per month for my family of seven, and it's even less for couples and singles. Wow. It's a solid organization, been around 17 years. We have the dependability of a proven method, but it's different. It's Christian-based, so we don't have to pay for non-Christian practices like abortions. Plus, we can choose our own doctors. What is it? Samaritan Ministries. SamaritanMinistries.org That's easy to remember. SamaritanMinistries.org
0: and now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Well, you're listening to Rick Brutica on The Mentors Radio Show, and with me is Repotted Supervisor Bill Campbell. For those of you that missed the last segment, you won't know what repotted means, so I encourage you to think, listen to our podcast. But, Bill, you repotted yourself, and somehow you repotted yourself into the political sphere, and uh, I wish you could kind of tell our, our uh, listeners a bit about that and how you grew from uh, uh, being an assemblyman to all of those various roles that you held.
2: Well, it's it's interesting, it is a, it's a significant change for a business person, and as I told you I had not been involved in politics before uh, in any uh, real way. And so uh, it was um, an amazing learning experience. I, I basically said to folks about my experience in Sacramento is you had three simultaneous things to learn at the, you know, going on at the same time. You, you basically had to learn eighty new people, the number of people in the Assembly. You had to meet them, get a read on them, know how to deal with them. Uh, second, you had to learn parliamentary procedures and they, you know, we all think we learned something in our club. They are extremely important in politics in terms of either getting a bill to stay alive or to help kill a bill. So you had to learn that at, the, at, the, at that time. And then, uh, frankly, uh, you had a bunch of people coming to try and influence you. And you know what, Rick, when you get to Sacramento, it's amazing. It's only, I don't know, 400 miles from where I live. And yet I got better looking. I got smarter, <laughs> my jokes got better. It was incredible. I'm obviously being facetious, and fortunately I had a loving wife who would, you know, you know prick that bubble in my head about how great I was when i get back home. But um, you really have to be careful of that up there because you can, you can, everybody wants something from you, and so obviously they tell you you're the world's greatest at whatever you're doing up there.
1: And, and, and I imagine, and it certainly it has been my experience, but I haven't had the in-depth experience you have had in politics, that a lot of politicians take themselves seriously when they say those things. You may have been joking, but a lot aren't.
2: Well, um, I, I liked everybody I dealt with. Uh, uh, there, were probably, there was probably one person on my side of the aisle and one side on the other side that I didn't get along with. But you know, 78 out of 80 isn't bad. Uh, they're good people. Uh, they have the right uh, desires to do something for their people in their district. A number of them do get up every morning and think they're looking at the future president of the United States in the mirror. That was kind of a common joke about some of uh, some of my colleagues there. But essentially, what you have in the political arena is you have two different political philosophies. You have one that says the role of the state is to really help people out to do things for them to provide uh, services to them and the other one is the role of the state is to make it safe for individuals to operate on their own and to take their own risks it's very interesting when you come at trying to solve a problem depending on which political philosophy you're working with and that that's where the issues become and then you got to try and find some common ground in between there it's called compromise and i don't think that's a dirty word you just try and listen to what people want to you know, what? how they want to solve something, and then you bring your values as to what's the best way to solve it, and then you try and convince some others to, to follow that approach.
1: Well, I, of course, know that you were very business-oriented, business-supportive, um, and let's face it, a conservative politician. I'm kind of interested in, I think our our listening audience might be as well is what 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 was your reaction how did How did you handle something when you had that other philosophy looking in the face? You may have really liked them a lot, but they were really making it harder on that individual business person or making it a lot more difficult for some of the cultural values that we have had over all these years so uh, what what was the approach that you took?
2: well, it is there's a couple of examples one One is, of course, the minimum wage um uh, mm-hmm uh you know the the uh, i was a republican and the other side democrats uh supported by labor unions are always trying to raise the minimum wage on my side i i used minimum wage employees in my business uh but i also saw that by hiring them in over time they could become a shift supervisor then an assistant manager and a manager and make good dollars but i also saw whenever the minimum wage came in and bumped up the cost of labor, Taco Bell would figure out a way to do a job with, that reduced the amount of labor needed in the restaurant. So the folks that say minimum wage doesn't affect the ability or affect jobs are just wrong at least based on my experience and i would I'd try and share that with the folks on the uh, uh, on the floor and in committee hearings and things and um, you know I think in that case they had made up their minds, and I had made up my mind, but i I I had the actual experience of seeing jobs disappear when the wages went up arbitrarily like that instead of driven by the market. So uh that would that would certainly be one um that I remember um you know
1: well, and of course, I couldn't agree with you more, but the the other thing that's kind of like a little private philosophy of mine, which I may have shared with you at some point, which is that sim- simply stated when the minimum wage goes up, that just means the lowest rung goes up, which means that that guy on the lowest rung is now pushing the guy on the rung ahead of him up, which is pushing the guy ahead of him up, and pretty soon, maybe it's not the first day, or the first week, or the first month, but within a number of time periods that pass— you're in the exact same problem you were in before as you look at the ratio of the lowest paid person to the highest paid person and uh, it, it just uh, it just always struck me as strange that we'd work with the minimum wage and it, and yet for some reason it I guess is very popular with the electorate but I think it makes your point that there are two consistently different views here and how you get by it by compromising I'm really not sure because the minimum wage just keeps going up
2: sure and you're right uh, you're exactly right that's good You've, you've described the, the business model perfectly in the way you described it from from the point I was trying to make is that when you eliminate that job in the restaurant, that person doesn't get hired. That means they don't get a chance to be promoted to be the shift manager, to be the assistant manager, or the restaurant manager, because there's one less person being hired there, one less opportunity. Uh, and so uh, that's the tragedy in, in my view of the, uh, the situation. So uh, obviously there's you
1: know Yeah, you're right, Bill, and and I don't know if you happen to see in a recent um opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal by Bill McGurn, where he interviewed a, a person who's found, I think, I think he said something like millions of jobs for people all over the country, and he claims, of course, that the best thing about a business like yours, like the fast food business, is it gives a person a way to start in the business world, to learn some of those those characteristics that you need to be to be in business, to learn to make a schedule on time, to arrive on time, to get paid for work you do, real, real important lessons, and, uh, you know, when we do away with that one extra job, that you... Just just mentioned in your your analysis here what it does to us is there's one more person that starts in the world without those skills
2: sure yeah. so let's go on to other parts of the assembly though so the
1: way you have to well do- bill Bill I want I want to hold that if you don't mind because we're running up against a, a break again so uh, right after that I would like you to go into the other parts of the assembly and maybe tell us the difference just in the way of passing of the difference between the assembly and the supervisorial job that you did. Stick with us, folks, as you listen to Bill Campbell's talk to us about the political situation today.
3: Attention, salespeople. Are you struggling trying to make sales on a daily basis so you can earn more money and enjoy a better lifestyle? Are you sick and tired of prospects telling you they want to think about it and not being able to pay your bills? End all that now by going to www.MinutesToSales.com and sign up for my free webinar. Hello, I'm Jeff Moder and I regularly hear from salespeople and business owners who are struggling to get more sales because they don't know how to sell in a clear and convincing way and that was me when I started out in sales more than 35 years ago I knew I had a great product that made people's lives better but for some reason I just didn't know how to tell people about it in a clear and convincing way I couldn't even close the door so to speak but all that changed when I cracked the code since then I've helped hundreds of people to understand the process and be able to sell at will if you'd like to start making more sales immediately, sign up for my free webinar at www.minutestosales.com where you can experience for yourself my simple, amazing process and see how it instantly improves your sales ability. Go to www.minutestosales.com today and sign up for my free webinar. Talk to you soon.
8: In classrooms across America, students are not learning the same history you did. Used in Catholic schools in more than 60 dioceses, these textbooks are highly praised by all, even award-winning secular university professors. Go to catholictextbookproject.com to find out why.
4: Imagine waking up and walking just eight steps to your work. No commute, no traffic. You set your own hours, full-time or part-time, your choice. Supplement your income, replace your income. It's up to you. Hopeinacan.com can help you get there. These aren't empty promises. When Katherine, a popular hairstylist back east, became ill and needed different work, she became part of the Hope in a can team. Within two years, she not only regained her health, but also more than replaced her income. Mary, a nurse and mother of nine in the Midwest, quit nursing to be with her family and work from home. Her income put nine children through college. A near retirement dentist is happily building a post-retirement business. What are your goals? Call now toll free to learn more. 855-921-hope. That's 855-921-hope. Or go to hopeinacan.com. That's hopeinacan.com. hopeinacan.com.
0: And now, back to the mentors. Where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and
1: business. Welcome back. You're listening to The Mentors Radio. I'm Rick Brutico, your host this week. We're talking with Bill Campbell, engineer, businessman, and elected official, and we're now on the elected official stage, and we're learning a lot about what goes on in places like Sacramento State Houses, and soon what we hear about in Supervisorial Districts. So Bill, I'd like to kind of pick it up right where you left off. You were telling us about the assembly and uh, in California, and if you could just pick that up, I think our, interest, our listeners would be very interested in what an assembly really does.
2: Right. The job of the Assembly and Senate, uh, the legislature, in other words, is to write laws or to repeal laws uh, that the governor then makes a decision and signs or can veto and that can be overridden. But it's really about writing laws uh, to, for a variety of reasons, and it's also the allocation of the budget. When you get to the Board of Supervisors, uh, which I served on in Orange County for 10 years, that's a management job. Uh, You basically have five people responsible for running, in the case of Orange County, a $6 billion business with over 16,000 employees. And sure, that that $6 billion of revenue comes with a lot of strings attached from the federal government and from the state government, Uh, but you've got to make sure these services are delivered. You've got to make sure they're delivered efficiently. Uh, In the case of our employees, uh, most of them were unionized, so we had labor negotiations. It's a major business to run. So from a businessman's point of view, it was a more uh, enjoyable area where I could apply my business experience directly.
1: How big a budget did you say it was?
2: Six billion dollars.
1: Yeah, so uh, listeners, think about that. A $6 billion company, <clears throat> obviously not the largest in the world, but a large, large enterprise. And and I guess in the final analysis, you're almost more like a board of directors, aren't you? I mean, you're held accountable if things are not done appropriately and the taxpayers' money is not spent efficiently.
2: That, that's correct. We we hired a CEO, a county executive officer, to do the day-to-day running of the business and to think strategically. But we got involved because a constituent would give us a call and say, you know, you've got a, a pipe over here flooding down my property. Get that fixed, and we'd get involved for them. You know, so there's all there's so many kind of mundane things that you can get involved in besides looking at the big picture of how do you keep these folks employed, how do you keep them active, how do you retain them, all all of that, too. So uh, very fascinating. And, um, you know, time-consuming job.
1: Well, Bill, we're getting close to the end of our segment. I know it's hard to believe, and therefore the end of the show, but I've got a couple of minutes here, and maybe you could just give some advice to what's going on in Washington, D.C. Why can't uh, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell uh, get along with uh, Donald Trump? What, what's the issue there, and what do you think the difficulties are that could maybe, maybe they'll listen to this show and take your advice?
2: Well, I can I can empathize with uh, Paul Ryan because I, although I was the minority leader, he's the majority leader. But I had a faction of people within my party that um, really wanted to do things differently, and they had good reasons for doing that. But it also meant that uh, it re- reduced our ability to have any impact uh, on laws uh, because we got run over roughshod by the Democrats. Whereas if we could find a way to work together with them. Uh, We were able to get things done that I thought were better uh, for the state because we incorporated more of our philosophy. But you get some folks, and so Paul Ryan is saying, I mean, people are saying to Paul Ryan, why don't you deliver the votes? Or to McConnell, why didn't you deliver the votes on this? Well, because the Republicans do not march in lockstep. Uh, They just don't. And they're individuals, and they're bright individuals, but it's also a struggle for the leaders. Um, my friend, who was a leader before me, said it's like herding cats. Bill, and and they're right, uh, obviously. And then dealing with the the wild card of a businessman who's focused on trying to solve things from a business point of view, and expects that if people say they're going to do something, because that's what's happened in the business world, if somebody tells you you're going to do it, they do it, and these guys. They've been saying they're going to do something for seven years, and then they don't do it. You've got to you, you've got to be throwing your hands up in the air.
1: Yeah, and I think I think you make a great point. We're kind of coming to the end of the show, but you know, Bill, you make a great point, and even our president has to, I think, learn that this pro- process is not really like a business process. It's a legislative process, and if you don't get the You're legislators right. in line, you just don't get things done. You got a chance to see it from both sides, so. With that, folks, we have to say goodbye to our guests today and uh, wrap up by saying we heard a lot of good things. But one of the things that's most important to me is repot yourself every 10 years or so, maybe sooner if you need it, if you already feel root bound. You've been listening to The Mentors, and don't forget to give us a call, and we'll take your call on the rare if possible, 844-610-8255.